0: Well, good morning again. Good morning again. Uh, Can I have my welcome to to Jonathan's? Uh, It is great to have you with us this morning. Um, If you have a copy of God's Word, can I invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 2. If you don't have a a copy of God's Word, um, then please do feel free to to take one of those red hardback Bibles that might be around. Um, If you don't have a copy of God's Word at home, then please do take that with with you. We'd, We'd love you to have a copy of God's Word with you. Um, And we're going to pick up in Philippians chapter 2 where we left off last week. Uh, And last week we started into this chapter and we recognized the central theme of humility uh, in these first 11 verses particularly. Paul is encouraging the believers in Philippi to live in humility with one another. Uh, And that call of humble love, of course, uh, echoes through the generations to today as God's inspired word still commands us to treat one another humbly, to love, to care for, to support, to encourage. As brothers and sisters in Christ, as we seek to, to follow Jesus together, we must do so humbly with one another. And, but verses 1 to 5, they, they also showed us that the humility that God commands us to display is not some sort of intangible, ethereal thing. It is a very intensely practical Uh, a practical thing. We summarized it last week, last week, sorry, in these three ways that it's humility that we can know in Christ, humility we can feel in our core and humility we can do in community. And we explained that that, that this, we can know this true humility in Christ because in coming to Christ, then the only way to respond to his offer of salvation is in humility. There is no room for, for any of us, for any of us sort of Arrogantly coming to God to say, look, God, I am worthy of your grace. No, none of us are. Not one. And so none of us have have any edge on any other. No, we are equal in our need for salvation. And we respond to that offer of salvation in exactly the same way in repentance and faith and coming to the Lord Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. And so we come to him humbly. And so we can know that humility in Christ. Uh, And we saw last week in that wonderful verse one. Uh, that we can know the encouragement of being united with christ we can know the comfort of his love the fellowship of his holy spirit his tenderness and compassion those are things we can know which then drive how we feel and how we act and so this humility that we can feel because of what we know uh, is because we recognize our unity together is in christ what unites us is christ Uh, and so the desire to see Christ shared with the world, the desire to, to spread the gospel is what unites his people together. It's not a, it's not a shared uh, postcode. It's not a shared economic status. It's not even a shared language or culture. What unites brothers and sisters in Christ is Christ himself. And therefore, because he is the very purpose of our life, he is the driving force behind everything that we do, then we can know and feel that hum- uh, that. Um, that that his humility at work among us as we seek to serve him. And so the very core of our being is driven by Christ. And therefore, that is what we are to be about, what church is to be about. Uh, And so as God's children, we're we're to be united in that truth. And so we know that humility of God in Christ. And we, we can then feel that together as he propels us forward in his mission in the world. And finally, last week, we saw that what we know and what we feel needs to lead to action. And this is humility that we can do in community. Uh, and we see this in verse 3 and 4. Let me just quote verse 3 and 4 of Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. You see, this humility that we can demonstrate to one another is is, is done so in, in small but desperately meaningful ways as well as the ginormous ways. Uh, And this humility requires vulnerability. It requires trusting one another, requires loving one another. Uh, And that may sound hard. It may sound costly. It may even sound risky as we think about being vulnerable together to encourage each other in Christ. Yet we know that this is the same mindset that we are supposed to have because this is the mindset that Christ had. Verse five: In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And so, humility that we can know, that we can feel, and we can do. And so, that is what we saw last week. And you can listen back if you if you'd like to unpack that a little bit further. Uh, but those first four verses, particularly, they're the, they're the backdrop then to what comes next. This wonderful song. Uh, some people say this is, this is like a hymn that would have been sung in the Philippian church. But this wonderful poetic description of Jesus, the, the backdrop of it is be humble together because Christ has shown us true humility. And that's what this song unpacks, this wonderful piece uh, of, of writing uh, of God's word unpacks for us. And so we're going to turn to verse 5 through to verse 11. Uh, and enjoy these verses together and see what God would say to us this morning through his wonderful, divine, inspired word. And so let's read uh, Philippians 2, verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, as we turn to your word now, God, would you speak to our hearts? Would your voice and your spirit be at work as we as we enjoy this wonderful truth that you have given to us? May our lives be changed by your teaching of us this morning. Amen. Now, this is indeed a, a rich passage celebrating Jesus, isn't it? He's, he's the focus here. And we see so much in these verses. We see his divinity. We see his incarnation. We see his humiliation. We see his obedience his resurrection his exaltation his glorification his supreme reign we see all of that in these short verses these are indeed rich for us and and to help us consider them this morning we're we're just going to very simply follow the structure of those verses that we see there maybe you noticed as we read through there's a definite pivot at the start of verse nine isn't there The therefore it it, it sparks a change in what has been thinking and the first section verse six seven and eight we see Jesus stooping low. We see the, the, the humility of Christ. We see it starts in verse 6, Christ in very nature God and ends in verse 8 with being, uh, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. We see the stooping low of Jesus Christ. And then in the second half, verse 9 to 11, we see Jesus exalted high. We see that God then exalts him to the highest place in verse 9 and it ends in verse 11 with every tongue acknowledging Jesus Christ as Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so we're going to consider that. That will be the two main focuses we have today, thinking of Jesus stooping low and then Jesus exalted high. And we we can't begin to consider his stooping, which is where we'll start, without considering the lofty place he started from without considering how far he stooped. You see, we need to consider that because I think it shows the the willingness of his humility even more starkly for us when we consider the glory from which he stooped. And so verse 6 begins, uh, sorry, verse 6 flows from verse 5. So have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, In very nature, God, or the the very form of God, we see later on that he did not consider equality with God. Jesus begins in the heavenly place with his Father. This is getting to the reality that that Jesus is not just a good man. Jesus wasn't just even a great man. As, As others have said, Jesus is the God man. He is in very nature God. He is in equality with God. And we're getting ready to celebrate this reality as we do hurtle towards Christmas. And many of us recognize over that Christmas time, those of us who claim Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that is the time of year where we intentionally celebrate God becoming flesh, Jesus coming to earth. Because of course, this, the birth of Jesus was like no other birth. This was no ordinary baby. This was no ordinary life that he lived. Yes, he was fully human, completely human. That's why the writer of the Hebrews is able to say later in Hebrews four fifteen, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness as, as humans ourselves, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Christ was fully human. Jesus was fully human. But he was at one and the same time. God, fully God. That's why this verse is not complete. And it ends with, yet he did not sin. So Christ is fully human, yes, he is able to empathize with every weakness that we can and we have, yet he did not sin, and he did not sin because he was also fully God. He was fully human, fully God. He did not sin, he lived the perfect life. We see this again in, in John one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and then and the Word was God. Then jump into verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the word and the word not only was with God, the word was God in a way that only a Trinitarian God can. Now, now some of our heads are already melting, and I get that. We are logical thinkers. We we struggle to, to grasp the concept of the majesty and the mystery of the Trinity. Yet here we see it at play. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, God's son is God, fully God, and made man when he came to this earth. You see, God, this reality helps us to see that God is far above us, far beyond us. Totally other than us, yet he made himself one of us. He stooped in the person of Jesus Christ. Just one other passage to enjoy together, and we'll think about some of these verses later as we come around the communion table. But Colossians 1, I mentioned this last week, but Colossians 1, I'm just going to read verse 15 through to verse 19. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Again, can we see the humanity and the divinity of Christ? For in him, in Christ, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. See, this is Jesus. This is the one who created all things and in whom all things hold together. This is the Son of God, the Word made flesh, the one who stooped. The one who is in very nature God, yet took the very nature of a servant. And as we look through Philippians 2, verse 6, 7, and 8, let's not lose sight of the loftiness of Jesus Christ, the majesty, the divinity of Christ. Because I think when we do that, we then see his humility in a way that astounds us even more. So Jesus is stooping low. Uh, verse 6 of Philippians 2 continues. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. I'm sure we've all known someone who, who used something of themselves for their own advantage. Maybe it's you know, someone who's related to the boss at work. And, and just they don't have to do everything that everyone else has to do. They don't have to work quite so hard to climb the ladder. Or maybe it's someone who who assumes that their job title means that a particular task is beneath them. No, I am here and that is over there. That that kind of attitude in a much greater way is completely foreign to Jesus. Jesus doesn't use his divinity and his majesty, his otherness. He doesn't use that as a a way to back out of taking on humanity. Some translations have used this term that he did not... He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to hold on to, something to, to cling to and therefore avoid humanity and avoid stepping into humanity. No, the, the, the CSB version of, of, of the Bible says that he does not exploit, he didn't use the, the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be exploited, something to be used to his own advantage. No, that is not Jesus, that is the exact opposite of Jesus. Because how does verse 7 start? Rather. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be used for his own advantage. No, rather, he made himself nothing. He chooses humility to the Father's plans. And it's worth striking here, or noticing here, sorry, as we go through verse 7 and 8, the very intentional, purposeful steps that Jesus takes this is not this is not the response of, of like a, a, a sulky teenager to what what is seemingly an unfair demand of a parent no jesus willingly intentionally lowers stoops him, himself down notice he did not consider equality with god something to be used to his own advantage rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and then in verse eight and found an appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Jesus made himself nothing. He was taking the very nature of a servant. He humbled himself to death. You see, Jesus knew what his mission was and was willing to fulfill it. Willing to fulfill it. As we'll sing later on, we can sing of Jesus, you chose the cross actively intentionally purposefully jesus chose to humble himself he chose to take on human flesh and to go to the cross and of course we know now as jesus knew then the cross was a painful agonizing path to take and yet that was the path he chose he made himself nothing he humbled himself he became obedient to death even death on a cross and he did so for you and me the path to the cross is where you and I, that's the path you and I deserve to walk. Jesus didn't need the cross for himself. He had no sin to be, to be brought before the Father and a penalty to be paid for. No, but you or I, us as sinners, yeah, that, that's, that's the penalty that should have awaited us. It's you or I who should have been hanging there. Although we're the ones for whom Jesus did it jesus god's son the one who had no sin chose the cross and as we read in isaiah 53 speaking of the suffering servant who would come surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering yet we considered him punished by god stricken and afflicted but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. This is what Jesus humbled himself to. Jesus took the penalty for my sin and yours as he died on the cross. And in doing so, it wasn't just the the physical brutality that he endured. No, it was separation from his heavenly father as he carried the burden of sin For the whole world and all of this he chose jesus in very nature god chose to become obedient to death even death on a cross and he entered into it willingly this is jesus stooping low but but how how could he stoop so low what 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 was what was his motivation for doing so well we read gloriously in hebrews 12 verse 2, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the father. You see, Jesus knew that on the other side of the cross was joy. He knew that his death on the cross was not the end of the story. He knew that he would rise. He knew that he would ascend to heaven where he would sit at the right hand of the father. He knew that that it was all, because it was God's plan all along, that sin and death could not hold him in the grave. No, rather that by his sacrifice, millions and millions would know sins forgiven and life eternal with him. They would know God would be given the glory for all of those who would be saved. And therefore, that's the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He was willing to humble himself to do so. Surely that's the joy that enabled him to do that. And so as we've considered the stooping of Jesus from such great heights, from in very nature God to humbling himself to death, even death on a cross, we can't consider that humbling without already knowing in ourselves. That's not the end of the story. We've already started to pivot from verse 8 into verse 9, haven't we? And starting to see the exaltation of Christ as we recognize the joy set before him. He endured the cross. He has now sat down at the right hand of the Father. And so it's to that that we then... It's to that exaltation that we're going to turn now, but we do so in the deeper appreciation of the stooping that Jesus did. How far he stooped, how much he humbled himself, how he chose the cross. Therefore, God has exalted him. What a Savior we have. The one who stooped so that we would be saved. And we can know him as Savior because, as I've said, he doesn't stay low. He doesn't stay dead. Jesus is exalted high. And we see this as we turn now to verse, 11, uh, verse 9 through to verse 11. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is Jesus exalted But but, but notice how verse 9 begins, therefore. Now, as we've said before, every time we come to a therefore in Scripture, it is good to ask, what's the therefore, therefore? What is the purpose of the therefore? What has come before that is then giving the basis for what comes next? This sentence could have started, verse 8, sorry, could have ended with, he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Verse 9 begins, God exalted. No, there's a therefore, and the therefore is significant. The therefore is crucial. The therefore is there because it shows that Jesus' death on the cross is sufficient for us. Jesus' death on the cross, the sacrifice that Jesus made, was fully and wholly acceptable to God the Father. Therefore, God exalted him. If Jesus hadn't fully paid the debt for sin, if Jesus hadn't fully wrapped up the the, the penalty of hell that, that is there for every unbelieving heart. If there had been anything left over of the wrath of God, then there couldn't be a full exaltation of Christ. But no, he who came obedient to death, even death on the cross, therefore God has exalted him to the highest place because there's nothing left. For those who come to Christ in repentance and faith, as we saw last week, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For Colossians 2, he has taken our penalty away. He has nailed it to the cross. And so the sacrifice of Jesus is full and final. And therefore, God exalts him to the highest place, gives him the name that is above every name. And what that means, that's not just a a nice kind of tweak of literature. No, that means that we can fully trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior we can, as we read in Hebrews, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence because the once for all sacrifice has been made and has been accepted by God the Father. Therefore, Christ is exalted. He is now seated at the right hand of the Father and his sacrifice is enough. It is all that was needed for us to know salvation and therefore join him for now and for all eternity. Therefore, God has exalted him to the highest place and given him the name that is above every name. See, there, there, there's no one or nothing in all the heavenly realms or on earth below that can rank higher than Jesus Christ. He is ultimately victorious. He is supremely majestic. His name, the name that saves, the name that rescues, at the name of Jesus, every name must buy. His name is above every name. His greatness knows no end. He is being exalted. He is being given great honor. And what other option is there for Christ than to give him the honor that he so rightly deserves? After all that we've seen about how low and how far he has stooped in order to save, and of course he is due the exaltation and the honor that comes. But, but this hymn goes on to show us more because we're also told at the start of verse 10 the reason for jesus's exaltation ultimately it ends at the end of verse 11 to the glory of god the father that's the undertone of it all god's glory is revealed to us in christ god is glorified when we come to him as our savior and lord god is glorified as he exalts christ god gets the glory but the start of verse 10 is interesting therefore god exalted him to the highest place gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth. The ESV has this clearer word: it says, So that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow. God, God has exalted Jesus so that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. You see, when we, when we properly grasp the purpose for Jesus' stooping low, that he came to die for sin, to offer forgiveness, to grant eternal life, then we respond in humility. Yes, Jesus demonstrates stooping low. And he's been raised up before us, not just on the cross, but also raised up from the grave and exalted high so that we will know him as our Lord and King, so that we see him in all his majesty and bow before him so that we confess that he is Lord, he is king, he is mighty, he is powerful, he is savior, he is eternal, he is true life and love and liberty. He is Jesus Christ, the Lord of all, the king of all. He is exalted to the highest place with the name that is above every name. And, and, And so God lifts him up, God exalts him so that we will bow our knee. It's a reminder to us of God's love and God's patience in salvation. That he shows us Jesus so that we will bow the knee to him. So that we receive the forgiveness and the life that's in his name. And and, and many of us here have done just that. We know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We have bowed the knee to him. We have recognized our sin that took Jesus to the cross. We recognize how he has paid our penalty there. And so we've trusted in his sacrifice. We've come to him in repentance. We've turned from sin and seek to live our lives glorifying him. And yes, we continue to mess things up at times. But we know that we are held in his saving arms. That when we come to him and confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of all unrighteousness. And so we live our lives safe in his arms, empowered by his spirit and secure in our eternal home. We've bowed the knee before him. We've confessed him as Lord. Uh, but, but maybe you haven't done that yet in your life. You haven't confessed him as Lord and Savior. Can, can I invite you this morning, based on what you've seen of him, to come to him, to do just that? His arms are outstretched in a loving welcome when we come in repentance, when we recognize the sacrifice he's made on our behalf for our sin. He is willing to welcome us in. He longs to save us from our sin and from the eternal punishment that it will bring. So receive his offer of forgiveness for you this morning. Receive the new life that he gives in his name, his wonderful name, that name that is above every name. Or maybe this morning you sense that your heart has grown cold to Jesus. You follow him, yes. You have committed your life to him, yes. But but there's something, there's something holding you back. Something. In a way, if, if we're to bow our knee before him, we've begun to stand up again. Well, can, can I invite you to see him, as once again to gaze upon him as as the one who stooped to save you. The one who took on flesh to redeem you. The one who was obedient to death to demonstrate his love for you. And now the one who is exalted to the highest place. And so perhaps we do need to confess again to to bow our knees again to reinstate him as the rightful Lord and King of our lives. He is good. He is kind. He is forgiving. He is holy. He is just. So come to him again. Commit to living for him wholeheartedly. In in other words, come humbly to him. And so in this wonderful song, we see Jesus stooping low for us. We see Jesus taking on human flesh, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore, because of what he has achieved for us, he is now uh, exalted high enjoying the glory and the praise that he alone deserves. He has no match. There is no rival fit for him. You know, he is king forever. Jesus is exalted high. And may our lives therefore reflect those two realities, that we worship and we serve the humble king, the one who humbly came to seek and to save those who were lost, but the one who reigns in our life the one who has control, the one who is Lord. And may that indeed inspire us then because of the love and humility that we see in Christ. May that inspire our relationships with one another, just like verse five told us to. Where we humbly live together, where we're willing to stoop low to serve others. Knowing that one day we too will be lifted high in the presence of the King. But for now our call is service, our call is humility especially with one another. And like we say regularly and like verse 11 concludes, may this all, may the way we live, may how we respond to the message of the gospel, may how we share the message of the gospel, may it all be to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you. Oh, when we, when we gaze at a passage like this and we, we have this wonderful reminder to us of Jesus, how can we How can we not thank you, Lord, that you are king forever? You are sovereign over the entire universe. You are the one who created this place, and yet you stooped as as creature into your creation. And so we praise you for the stooping low of Jesus, that indeed he took on flesh and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross, a death which he did not die for himself, but a death that he died for each of us so that we would know forgiveness from sin and life eternal. Oh, Lord, we give you praise. We give you thanks. And when we recognize the enormity of what Jesus has done for us, Father, we we, we respond in humility too, recognizing that we can't bring anything to the table to save ourselves, to, to wipe away our own sin. To, to make ourselves acceptable before you. know we can't do anything for that. It is only and fully in the sacrifice of Jesus. And so we come humbly before you, laying down our whole lives before you again, giving you the reins of our life, the, the control of our life, because Lord, you are king. And so we want to confess you with our tongues that you are Jesus Christ is Lord. Not only with our mouths, but we want our lives to, to live that and say, speak that message to. Thank you, Father, for the saving work of Jesus. Thank you as we come to celebrate that around the table now, that we, are, we have this weekly reminder for us of the, the sacrifice of Jesus and the victory that he has won for us. Lord, may this never, may we never lose the wonder of the cross. May we never settle for a second-rate following of Jesus, a half-hearted following of our King. No, let's commit, and may you help us to commit wholeheartedly to follow you with everything we have. Help us, God, we do need your help. Thank you, Father, that you offer your help so willingly. And so we pray that in all things, you would receive the glory that you deserve for everything that you have done. And it's in your wonderful name we pray and for your glory we ask these things. Amen.